What's up, ASM? Glad to be back with you again. We're in the Gospel of John, our series titled That You May Believe, looking at John chapter 8 today. We're jumping back into the narrative storyline where Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's interacting with some of the Jewish teachers of the law. He's going to also then be interacting with some people who are just Jewish who are following him. And so we're going to open up our Bibles to John chapter 8. If you would do that with me, that's where we're going to be for today. And we're going to be looking first at verse 12, where Jesus is going to be talking specifically to the teachers of the law. And it says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this statement sets up a long discord where, surprise, the Pharisees disagree with Jesus. I know, sounds crazy. See, but what they begin to do is they're going to begin to question his authority and call him out for witnessing about himself. Now, the Jewish law mandated that in order for a message or a testimony to be deemed accurate in any way, shape, or form, there had to be at least two witnesses. And what they're saying to Jesus is, you are witnessing about yourself. Who is your other witness? Who do you have to verify your claims? And so we're going to skip down to verses 17 through 18, and this is what happens. Jesus says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, this idea of having two witnesses is actually a good idea. Otherwise, people just run around saying, hey, this happened, and you kind of have to believe them. It would be like me saying, hey, the other day, Mitchell walked up and punched me in the face. And people would be like, really? It doesn't sound like Mitchell. But if Austin said, I was there, I saw it. Now it's deemed verifiable. And that's a good thing. It's a good rule to have. But they have a problem with Jesus. And Jesus goes on after this to foreshadow his death, which causes them to become really confused just in the way that he's talking about it. And then they further press the issue that they don't truly know God, but simply know about him is what Jesus is going to reveal. Now we're going to get into the meat of this passage, and we're going to actually skip all the way to verses 31 through 59. And what I want us to understand is this the answer to this question, how can I really follow Jesus? Or how can I know that I'm really following Jesus? And here's our big idea. This is where we're going to sit in the rest of this time together, is that following Jesus requires knowing him and obeying him for yourself. Okay, It requires knowing who Jesus is, the real Jesus, obeying what he's taught, and then also doing this for yourself. Not relying on someone else to do it for you, but doing it for yourself. And we're going to unpack this because I think Jesus is actually trying to get to these things as he begins to talk to these Jewish people. And I want you to pay careful attention as we travel through this passage. Because what's going to happen is the Jews in the crowd are going to stake their claim on faith in being descendants of Abraham. And the Jews here, their entire identity and faith is rooted in the faith claims of an ancestor. Not even somebody who's like literally with them, but in their ancestry. And Jesus is going to poke all kinds of holes in this false hope. And they will move, you'll see this happen in this passage. They're going to move from people who believe, actually in verse 31 it says, to the Jews who had believed him. 
And we're going to look at that. They believed him. They didn't believe in him. They just liked what he had to say at this point. And they're going to move from belief to arguing to protesting to, it says, exclaiming or basically getting so upset with him that they're yelling at him to death threats. I mean, does this sound even remotely familiar to the culture that we live in today when we handle disagreement? I mean, turn on the news, right? This is happening all around us. But John 8, verses 31 through 32 kick off this section. And it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you want to know, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Are you really somebody who's following him every day? It's someone who does what he says. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth that Jesus is speaking to here is the truth of who he is, what he's come to do on our behalf. When we have faith in that, scripture tells us that we are saved. When we believe in our heart that Christ was crucified and that he rose again on the third day, we believe that in our hearts, we confess it with our mouths that we need a savior and we truly mean it, it will actually look like a transformed life. And we'll get to that in a moment because our point number one, as we look at this passage is this, following Jesus is more than a one-time prayer. It's more than just the acknowledgement that we need a savior. It's more than just hoping for Jesus as a get out of hell free card. Jesus is pointing out that following him is not merely listening, it's obeying doing what he says. And we just finished a series on the, or on the, not the gospel, the book of James written by Jesus's younger brother. And we looked at that whole series identifying that this is a book about faith that works. So James 2 verses 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In other words, no works. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, what James is not saying is that it's works that save you. He's saying works are an identifier of something that has already happened. Similarly, after Jesus rises from the dead in Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20, as he's leaving, he's departing to go back to the Father, he leaves these words with his disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's the key, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, being a follower of Jesus should look different than someone who just knows the name of Jesus and some stuff about him. Holding to a teaching, as Jesus says here in verses 31 and 32, holding to his teaching is living it out. It's allowing it to change you. It's a faith that produces work. Again, as we said in James, it's not works that save, but works are an evidence of a saving faith that has taken place. So Jesus, so the response, sorry, that the Jews give to Jesus, this is now in verse 33. This is their response to what Jesus just said. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
Point number two, our faith is in Jesus, not someone else's faith in Jesus. And here's what the rest of their point, the rest of their position hinges on. Abraham is our ancestor. Abraham is the one we're putting our faith in because he had faith. And we're hoping that somehow we, by osmosis, or somehow we've absorbed by by him being in our genealogical line, that we have absorbed Abraham's faith and we're good. Here's the problem. Where they see Abraham as righteous due to his faith is Genesis 15 verse 6. I want you to pay really close attention to what is said. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. What is not said here? Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to his family as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to anyone who would come after him in his line as righteousness. No, Abram's faith made Abraham right with God. Nowhere do we find in all of the scriptures that the faith of one person is somehow magically transferred to another person and covers them. But what they are insinuating is that, that Abram's faith is passed on to them, that they're good because Abram was good. Faith and salvation are not absorbed through another person. I mean, this is like you coming to me or, or, or like even further, let's just say you coming to God and saying, God, I went to ASM every week. Uh, my parents believed and they followed Jesus. I'm, I'm kind of leaning into their faith. I know they had faith, so I'm good. I was in uh, Trent's small group or Tura's small group or Danae's small group or, or any one of our amazing small group leaders. Therefore, I'm good because I know they had faith. Or I served at church or, or I served in kids ministry or I was a student leader. See, it's the actions without the proper motivation are dead is what James tells us. And Jesus is pointing at the same thing here is that your motivation, is your motivation simply to fit into this community that you've been in forever? Is it to blend in or is it a deep love and longing for growing closer to Jesus who you've trusted in? Not who someone else has trusted in, whom you have trusted in. See, remember that Jesus' biggest opponents during his earthly ministry were the most externally religious people. Now we're going to look at a big, big chunk of this passage, verses 34 to 59. So track with me. I'm going to read and we're going to stop a few times because there's some things I want to be able to point out as this argument begins to unfold. So looking at verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So they're like, what? How are we slaves? You're a slave to sin because you have sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's, Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. They don't want to accept the truth. I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have learned from your father. Okay, stop. What Jesus just did there is he said, I'm recognizing that you are Abraham's descendants, but you claim him as your father in spiritual faith. But Jesus doesn't recognize Abraham as their father, simply as their ancestor. And this is going to upset them because they're going to they're going to push the issue further. 
They said Abraham is their father once. Now they're going to say, Abraham is our father, they answered in verse 39. And here's how we know Jesus was not insinuating that, Jesus, that Abraham was their father. Because he starts, if you were Abraham's children, insinuating you aren't, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. How do we know that? Verse 6, chapter 15 of Genesis. Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. You are doing the works of your own father. Again, not recognizing Abraham as their father, not giving them the opportunity to say, we're dependent upon Abraham's faith. This is where they start to get upset. They've moved now from arguing with Jesus. They're going to protest. They're getting a step further. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now, wait a minute. Just a minute ago, didn't you say that Abraham was your father? Now the only father you have is God? See, they're, they're trying to one-up it and make themselves sound a little better. And here's the problem. Jesus has called them out. He has said, basically, by saying that Abraham is not your father and insinuating that someone else is, He's saying that they're illegitimate children. This is the problem that the Jewish people had as we look back uh, to a, a couple of our other passages in John. The problem that they had with Samaritans. They're dirty half-breeds in the Jewish people's minds. They are illegitimate children. They have no right in their mind to the inheritance that's found in being Abraham's kids. And so they argue, we are not illegitimate children. We see where your line of thinking is going, Jesus. How dare you go there? We are, we are legitimate children of Abraham. We are Jews. And here's how it unfolds. Jesus said to them, if God were your father. So now he's saying, if Abraham was your father, you'd do this, but you don't. If God were your father, let's take it a step further. I'll follow your line of thinking. You would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. And here's the kicker, the devil. Now, if there was a worse thing to say to a Jewish person, I, I don't know what it was, but this is it. Like, not only are you not Abraham's kids, not only are you not God's kids, your father is the devil. Now, why does he say this? And you, carry, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. What are they seeking to do at this point? Jesus pointed out twice so far. They want to kill him. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, which is what Jesus is trying to impart to them. He's not, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Here's the interesting thing. Not only can they not prove him guilty of sin, when Jesus is on trial and about to go to the cross, they have to find false witnesses to say things about Jesus because they can't find anything wrong with him. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. Do you, did you catch that? Jesus is equating himself with God right now. Why don't you listen to me? Because if you belong to God, you would believe what God says. This is huge. 
The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now they're about to get real angry. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, this is the equivalent of a schoolyard fight where someone says something about you and you have no good comeback and you say something on the line of, I know you are, but what am I? Jesus said, you're illegitimate. And he says that what? That they are children of the devil. Why? Because they follow the devil. This doesn't mean they worship the devil. It means that they, their desires match his, showing who they really have allegiance to. And so instead of saying, wow, we're confronted with the truth, we're humbled by that, what do they do? They double down and say, actually, we're not illegitimate, you're illegitimate. And we don't belong to the devil, you do. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. He's offering them eternal life if they would simply believe in him, not just believe him as they did earlier. At this they exclaimed. Now when they say exclaimed, I want you to read there, at this they began to yell. They're now super ticked. They're not hearing the truth. They've turned their ears off to the truth at this point. This is what happens when we get into an argument in our culture right now. We cease to listen to the other party. Jesus has listened to them. It's just that their argument holds no water. Now they're turning off their ears to the truth and they're getting angry. Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Really? Like where? Where did that come from? They go on. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And now they just repeat themselves. He died and so did the prophets. They're just like circular reasoning now. They're just repeating themselves over and over, trying to yell louder and louder and drown out his argument. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And what Jesus is doing is inviting them to know him and God. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. See, they're just stuck on things that don't matter at this point. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now I want to go back with you. When Moses was called by God from the burning bush to go back in the, in the story of Exodus and free God's people from slavery, Moses didn't know God. And Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am am sends you. See, because this just doesn't make any grammatical sense. Before Abraham was born, I am. What Jesus is saying, before Abraham was born, I am God. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Point number three, and this is one we really need to catch, okay? Following Jesus starts with knowing the real Jesus. The, the problem wasn't that they hadn't been following the genuine article. They'd been following the real physical Jesus around. Their problem was that, 
was that his teaching was offensive to their sense of identity. And see, they fell into the trap that we often fall into, I think, in the church. Oftentimes, we build in our minds a safe, comfortable Jesus who fits our ideals, our social agendas, and what we want from him. And we create a Jesus who thinks like us and approaches the world like us, a Jesus who spends his money like us, a Jesus who votes like us, a Jesus who is offended by the things that offend you and I, a Jesus who wants what we want. The reality is that following Jesus demands that we know Jesus on his terms for who he is and that we conform to his likeness. He doesn't conform to ours. And that is maybe the hardest truth of the gospel because this requires a denial of ourselves. It requires a realization that we are incapable of ever knowing God on our own, that we are in need of a savior, that we cannot pay our debt to sin. The beauty of the gospel is also the offer of freedom from sin and our separation from God through the act of what Jesus does at the cross and being, being raised up again. And that's offered freely to all. Jesus' argument is that they don't know God and their actions speak to who their father really is. Again, their father is the devil not because they worship the devil. They don't. They're Jewish. But they love their sin. They're unwilling to give it up. John 8.36, going back again. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. See, a slave to sin, in this case, And a slave in general has no inheritance. They have no belongings and they have no hope of inheriting anything. Yet when the firstborn son sets a slave free and offers them an invite into the family, it is solid. It is like being born into that family. And all the rights and privileges and inheritance that belong to the son can be given to the one who has been adopted into the family who was once a slave, not even a part of the family. Now they're in the family and given a shared inheritance with the son this is what Jesus is offering to us that the son has the ability to grant access as a co-heir and this is what Jesus has invited us to but remember how do we know that we're following Jesus the real Jesus following Jesus requires knowing him and obeying him for yourself So our questions as we close, maybe you want to do this with a a mom, a dad, or a brother, sister, whoever you're at home with, or maybe you just want to answer these questions for yourself. Why does any of this matter? Just why does any of this even matter? The, The next question I would ask you is, what is the difference between learning from someone else's faith and leaning on someone else's faith? And why does understanding the difference even matter? So what versions of Jesus also have we created in our minds that don't match the real Jesus we find in Scripture? And what are the practical steps, if we have created a version of Jesus that just is not the genuine article, what are some practical steps that you can take right now, this week, at erasing those false messiahs? Guys, I'm so happy that you joined us this week. I want you to know that Jesus loves you like she wants you, and he has offered this free gift of joining him in relationship with God, restoring us back freely to you. Thanks so much for being with us. See you next time.